This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. Many companies have added incentives for their employees to work out and to stay in shape. The main reason was the growing cost of health insurance. And even with the Affordable Care Act, a majority of companies that still provide health care for their workers. But these programs have to get the employee in shape. And the question is, do they work? Matish Patel is an assistant professor of medicine, healthcare management at the Perelman School of Medicine here at Penn. And he's also with the Wharton School. And he's a staff physician at the VA Medical Center here in Philadelphia. He's part of a variety of different studies looking at these types of topics. Great to see you. Thank you for having me on. Let's start specifically about the, 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 the weight loss and the one involving companies. Go into the background about how this all came about. So many people are interested in using financial incentives to help motivate employees to lose weight. About 80% of large employers in the United States use some form of financial incentive for health promotion. But there hasn't been a lot of evidence on how to use these incentives, how they can best be designed, or whether or not they actually work. So we conducted a year-long clinical trial to test whether or not financial incentives delivered through premium adjustments, which is the standard way employers do this. They either lower your health insurance premium payments if you meet certain goals or they raise them if you don't. And it's a common mechanism that people use, and there's a variety of reasons why we think it may not be the best way. Um, So we conducted a year-long clinical trial to test whether or not they could be used effectively to help people lose weight. And this is part of of a couple of different projects that you've worked on looking kind of in the same area, correct? Yeah, we've been looking at a series of different things. This one was first to test uh, the standard approach using a premium adjustment. We've done some other work looking at increasing physical activity in the workplace by using cash incentives right. framed either as a gain or a loss as a lottery, um, and then done some also done some work looking at whether we should pair people individually as t- or as a, on a team. So it, going back to the, uh, the original uh, study that you did, in terms of the incentive for giving money for a uh, for your insurance premium, why didn't that really work? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. So we, we in the study, what we did was we offered people $550 if they could lose 5% of their weight over the course of the year. They would get that as a premium uh, adjustment dispersed across 26 payments. In one arm, they got that starting next year, which is yep. the standard approach. It means lose weight now and we'll reward you next year. Um, the other one, they got it immediately. And then we also had a lottery arm, um, which was cash incentives, but um, was designed a little bit differently in our past studies in that we couldn't re- we couldn't use a, a function called regret feedback that we often use. And we compared that to control group. And we found at the end of the year, the control group essentially lost no weight and all of the intervention arms essentially lost no weight. And the main reason is that these incentives delivered through premiums are, are often hidden in a way. Yeah. They're, they go into your direct deposit. They're bundled in with larger sums of money from, from how much you make. And it turns out that a change in your direct deposit from 3000 to 3020 is not really <laughs> noticeable, whereas if you got a $20 check in the mail, you might notice that. And then these these payments are often delayed into the future, and people tend to prefer right. immediate gratification. They want rewards now. It's really hard to get someone to lose weight and do something that's hard to do now for a reward that's next year. So the, 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 
the possibility of doing some sort of plan where the benefit might be monthly has a better opportunity of working than obviously holding it out for a year and then you get it on the next cycle uh, of your health insurance uh, or even more so uh, of you know of just giving the cash incentive, correct? Yeah, there's a couple of insights from behavioral economics that can really help us think about how to better design these incentives. So one is offering them immediately as someone changes their behavior, giving them an incentive to kind of support that along the way as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of a lump sum at the end of the year. The second is making them more noticeable or salient. So providing a check in the mail. When someone gets a check or they get cash, they think about what they could use that for um, as opposed to a direct deposit that goes goes in the bank unnoticed. And then being able to use those incentives to build in daily feedback loops can really help people to change habits in a way that the current premium adjustments are not designed to do well. I, I would think that companies are, are, are very interested in this type of information because of the fact that the concern over health care costs is so is so very valid right now. Yeah, well, there's a lot of stakeholders involved in this process, all who have things to benefit. So the employer can reduce the costs of their employee health. The employees yeah. themselves want to be healthy. You know, a lot of people want to lose weight, quit smoking, be more physically active, but they have a hard time doing so. And these programs are one avenue that they can use to try to help them along those goals. Um, and then in terms of when we think of how do we create a culture of health, being able to create a system where we're using these incentives more effectively can really help drive that forward. You mentioned smoking, uh, and, and you've done work looking at that as well. Uh, is there any major difference between the types of programs in terms of trying to you know, break the habit of smoking and, and losing weight? And in terms of the financial incentives, you know, and how you go about providing those incentives. Yeah, so for each behavior, we have to think carefully about what's the way that we can design the incentives to work. So with weight, we have the benefit of letting people, being able to have uh, daily weights, people weigh in so we can get frequent feedback, give them frequent incentives. Yeah. Smoking is a little bit more challenging because that, you know, you either quit or you don't. There's obviously a pathway to decreasing how much you smoke. But um, some work led by my colleagues, Gavin Volpe and Scott Halpern, have tested ways to use financial incentives for smoking cessation. One large study with General Electric, another with CVS Health, and found that financial incentives in the range of $700 to $800 over the course of the year can triple smoking cessation rates. Is it easy now for companies, I mean, because a lot of these are, and your research obviously looked at, at a good amount of people, but the companies themselves in terms of monitoring these types of programs and seeing, uh, you know, who it works for and who it doesn't uh, work for, that's an investment that, that these companies have to be willing to take as well. Certainly. You know, many people are excited about the potential of using wearable devices, wireless weight scales, and these other types of technologies to help us get a glimpse into these everyday behaviors, things that we couldn't track before. And many people are really excited about that potential, but often are there's this you know kind of delusion that we can just give someone a Fitbit or a wearable device and they're going to change their behaviors. And right. we really need to combine it with an effective incentive strategy. And so that's what people really need to think about. Now, one thing that's important is a lot of people already have some of this technology, for example, 70% of adults in the United States have a smartphone, yep. carry it with them everywhere they go. So there is some infrastructure built in here that um, employers or large insurers or organizations can use without having to make that upfront capital investment. And if we can find ways to make these programs effective, then it may actually make the case for investing in these types of technologies. So then really it would be just the syncing uh, of maybe a person's Fitbit through their phone to a source to be able to provide that data for them. Right. So that the company's investment is 
fairly minimal. Yeah, and the key thing there is how do we use these programs effectively? If we can get people to lose weight, to be more physically active, yeah. then it makes an easy case for being able to invest in these you, types of you, technologies. You mentioned about 80% of, of large corporations have some sort of a program. When they put it in, they obviously would like to see their employees lose weight, get into better shape. But realistically, how vested are they in these programs? I mean, is the monitoring of these programs such that you, you get the feedback that you want? Or is it still a process that's developing? I mean, these programs have been around now for, what, about a decade or so, right? Yeah, you know, the programs have been existing for a while. You know, there's wellness programs through all kinds of different avenues and opportunities. I think a lot of that is starting to change now. You know, the Affordable Care Act has increased the proportion of health insurance premiums that we can use as incentives from yeah. 20% to 30%, and if you target uh, smoking or tobacco cessation, actually as, as much as half of your insurance payment yeah. can go as an incentive. So that's really driving um, insurance companies and employers to think about ways they can use these incentives smarter. Healthcare costs continue to rise, yeah. um, so there's more of an imperative to figure out how to do that. And these technologies now allow us to do things that we couldn't do five years ago. And sure. I think what we're trying to add is the evidence base here. So employers have used premium adjustments for years and years because it's a mechanism that exists and because there's no evidence to suggest otherwise. And we're hoping that our work can really shed some light on what types of incentive designs work and what don't so that we can think smarter about how we design these in the future. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We're talking about weight loss programs at work. Do they actually work? I'd love to hear from you. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, you mentioned part of, of the study that you did was looking at individuals, but also another part was teaming people up in pairs. How did how did that differ from, from the other piece to this? Yeah, so we did a second study, which also was um, recruiting employees, and we asked them to form teams of four. And then what we did was we varied the incentive based on either your individual performance, the performance of the whole team, mm -hmm. or a combination. And essentially, everyone was asked to achieve at least 7,000 steps a day, which is kind of the minimum amount of physical activity you need to start gaining health benefits. And yeah. these were folks that had a baseline step count in the three to 4,000 range. So it was fairly sedentary to begin with. And so this was a significant increase for them. And they were in a drawing every other day where they could win $50. If you were mm -hmm. in the individual arm, you got that $50 if you met the 7,000 step goal. Okay. In the team arm, only if all four of your team members did. So really placing the pressure on you to be accountable to your team members. And in the combination arm was you got $20 if you met the goal and $10 bonus for each of your teammates. And we compared that sure. to a control group over three months. And what we found was that in the control group, compared to the control group, the individual arm and the team arm were no different. They hmm. were slightly higher, but essentially as if not paying them at all. Right. But the combination arm was significantly higher, actually doubled the proportion of time that people met their physical activity goals by allocating the reward uh, in some aspect to the individual, but also as in as a bonus to their teammates. And so it really, you know, a lot of employers are interested in making their interventions, whether it's weight loss or physical activity, yeah. more social. And they're thinking about pairing people up into teams, but nobody's really looked at what's the best way to allocate incentives across the team. And so this study really sheds some light that the way we design that incentive can really dramatically impact the outcome. Uh, and maybe you haven't gotten it to this point, but but working within a team and having a group of four people working together to lose weight, I would think that that has a great potential of, especially if it's successful, of building up team morale within the company as well. 
Yeah, certainly. You know, when you have teams competing with each other in a workplace and they all work together, they know that they're going to strive to get their 7,000-step goal or, or <laughs> More importantly, in. get their $50, yeah, too, get right? Yeah, $50, their incentive. And so I think what this brings in is that there's a way that we can marry financial incentives with social incentives, being yeah. accountable to your team, using that in, in that competitive drive that people have to really improve the effectiveness of these programs. I, I guess the ultimate would be to be able to have these types of uh, of uh, of habits followed without having to have the financial incentive uh, the companies would certainly like it a little bit better uh, but I mean let's be honest I mean you know cash you know or a check in your in the mail does motivate people yeah well we know that if we design a financial incentive in the right way we can we can motivate outcomes and that doesn't mean that um, financial incentives are the answer for every scenario. There are certain scenarios where financial incentives may make more sense and others where social incentives may make more sense. And on top of that, these programs are often designed as, kind of designed as one size fits all. Here's the program, regardless of who you are as the individual. And we know that people are driven by different things. So yeah. some people may be very uh, focused on the money. Other people may be very focused on the competition. And we're looking at ways that we can start teasing that out and making these more patient-centered. How do you do that, though? Well, so one of the ways we can do that is by looking across these studies and looking to see if there are certain characteristics that uh, are certain types of people that uh, respond more to one incentive or the other. And we've done some preliminary work looking at some of our prior studies and haven't found a large uh, relationship between certain demographic characteristics. Mm -hmm. What we think might be interesting is people probably have some type of behavioral phenotype. So this is the way they respond. They may be more or less socially connected to others. And so we're currently doing studies now that are focused on social incentives for weight loss and physical activity, where we're measuring how connected you are. We're pairing you up with either someone you don't know or a family member who you know really well and live with, and testing what are the differences in outcomes when we change that social connection and can actually evaluate how your social network changes from the beginning to the end of the image. How difficult is that as a factor in this type of study when you're thinking about, look, you know, you you may talk with a thousand people at a specific company, and chances are their mindset will be different on working out or not working out or being incentivized or not being incentivized on a majority of the people. So, I mean, you're working with different personalities as well. As you alluded to, it's hard, I would think, sometimes to to be able to get a a really good gauge at, at, at a point of what works and what doesn't work, correct? Yeah, so there, it's it's hard to gauge people who are at different stages of their motivation. So one aspect that we can do to improve upon that is to design these studies so they can encourage everyone within the workplace. So a lot of workplaces that are looking to increase physical activity will say, let's get a leaderboard, strive for 10,000 steps, we'll yeah. post who does the most. And that really motivates the people at the top of the leaderboard, but doesn't motivate the rest of the 99% of people who need motivation the most. Yeah. And so in our studies, instead of setting a, you know, setting a design that helps the power walkers or the runners walk more, we ask them to achieve a floor. So every, we want to get everybody above 7,000 steps. And what yeah. that does is it increases morale because everybody has a common goal. Yeah. And it, it, it really focuses on the people who are less... Uh, engaged, more sedentary, obese, or overweight to start with, because those are the people that could benefit the most from these. And I think that a lot of programs are not well designed to focus in on those. And we find that at the end of our studies, the physical activity studies, 96% of people stayed in the study even three months after taking the incentive away. And that's much higher than you'll see in an employer program. And that's interesting. A point I wanted to touch on, thinking back where I used to work at, at the Wall Street Journal, I remember, you know, you would see in our newsroom, you could see out into the parking lot and you would see around lunchtime, 
groups of walkers or groups of runners. And these were not people that were, you know, were linked into any study or linked in to a, a program. You know, this came out of just, you know, meeting people within the in the in the workplace. And you basically almost have like clubs develop out, out of this. Yeah, it's it's almost like a natural social network that develops because of yeah. where you work. You know, a lot of people think that workplace programs the one reason to target them is just because that's how we can deliver insurance, which is true. But it also is a natural, you know, social environment where you spend eight hours a day, a third of your day, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, there a majority of the time, and that's a third of your waking day, and that's a time when we need to take better advantage of that. I'm guessing that that the ultimate, not only goal off of this is, is there will be a benefit for the companies in terms of the health insurance that they're that they're paying out, but that the overall uh, effectiveness of the employees will be good as well or increased as well. And that ends up having another bottom line benefit to the company over the course of time. Definitely. I think if we can focus on finding ways to make to design these programs so they improve the employee's health, that will lead to all of these other things, including financial savings. Where's the? I mean, you said you're doing research now. So, what are the next steps in this research to to kind of build off what you've what you've already done? So, I think there's a couple of next steps. So, some of these, some of the studies that we've found for physical activity and other things um, have been, you know, how do we achieve maximal effect in the short term, three to six months? We're now looking at longer periods of time because we yeah. want to think about sustainability of these interventions. We want to think about better ways to bring in social incentives. So, are there are ways that we can. Uh, bring people in on the team, use some type of gamification element that has insights from behavioral economics to make people more accountable and tied in towards a goal. Um, and then how do we focus on really driving towards these clinical outcomes, losing weight, increasing physical activity. If you're diabetic, improving your hemoglobin A1C. Yeah. We have a study looking at physical activity for patients after they have a heart attack, the time when they really should you know, change their health behaviors the most. And so if we can take these um, elements and put them into these clinical scenarios, they can drive greater benefit. And, and, and seemingly the, the aspect of technology being a factor in terms of playing this out, uh, that's a benefit when you're talking about something like gamification because you can put it right on your smartphone and it makes it, you know, that. And look, who doesn't walk around with their smartphone right now? Right. I mean, the smartphone is, you know, I could leave home without my wallet and I probably wouldn't go back to get it. But if I left home without my smartphone, I would turn around and go get that. You know, people can't function without that. And that's very powerful. And I think the fact that we can leverage technology, it can be game changing if we can figure out how to do it right. For some of us, we need our wallets because we've got our monthly train pass. In the wallet. So, you know. It, well, soon that'll be on the phone. That's so true. Well, tell, tell the people down at SEPTA in Philadelphia right. to, to get that taken care of. Uh, it, it's interesting because this is such an important area, and we've realistically just kind of tipped the iceberg in this in terms of our our knowledge in, in how to improve the health of of our employees, of people at work. I mean, there's still a long way to go to really affect this, not only on on putting these plans in place, but being able to reach people because you're talking about so many different personalities and some things work with some people and some things don't. Right. I think that it's been, you know, the, these programs have been in place for a while. They haven't changed or adapted as the technology has been changed, as the types of people that are in these different scenarios have changed. And so uh, the evidence or the research has really come along in the last five years. And so we know what works well and what doesn't. And we, we need to start translating that better into the, into the real world and then continuing to iterate on that. So you'll see these plans have fairly significant changes probably in the next few years. 
that would be our hope. You know, my colleagues, Kevin Volpe and Scott Halpern, did this uh, smoking cessation study with CVS, and CVS implemented that nationally in all mm-hmm. of their employees. They're one of the largest employers in the United States, and they created a program called 700 Good Reasons to Quit, where people could put down $50 to, to enter in the program and have the chance to win $700 if they quit smoking. That was one of the fastest translations from research and creating evidence to actually implementation. And we'd like to see more of that as this new evidence continues to come out. I think you mentioned GE was another company that, that you worked with. What are some of the things that, that they have learned and, and they have tried to implement off of uh, off of working with them? Yeah, that was based off of a study that my colleague Kevin Volpe led, one of the first smoking cessation studies um, looking at financial incentives. And they found a tripling in smoking cessation rates. Now, I think one of the things that they found was when you have that, how do you then implement that in the real world? You know, there are some some folks that think that it's unfair to give an incentive to people who aren't healthy and not to people who are. You know, the people who right. don't smoke are not eligible for these types of things. And so we need to think carefully about how we design that, um, how these incentives are framed, whether you frame them as a gain or you frame them as a loss or whether there are ways that you can do that effectively. And I think we have started to make progress on that, but that's still something we need to work on. But people realistically that are healthy, that are in good shape, are gaining a benefit anyway, because chances are they're going to be paying a little bit of a lower premium to begin with. Sure. And I think that's how that's how these companies have tried to mediate that is that people who are less healthy have higher premiums to start with and can kind of earn back that incentive if they become healthy. Yeah. And people who are healthier to start with have lower premiums. But but just the, the companies themselves, as you said, with CVS and with GE, taking this step to go forward uh, with these type of programs, but also it could be you know, things that they promote within the corporation of, you know, doing a company 5K or or doing a company walk or something like that. There are are so many more little pieces to this that companies probably haven't even invested in yet that will benefit their employees down the road. Definitely. I think there's a, a wide range of opportunities. And I think what's important is to figure out for your set of employees, you know, what are the one or two things that you can do? How can you use some of the evidence to guide those designs? Because it's hard to do five or six things at once, and a lot of times people need to focus. And I do think that, you know, while companies are a way to kind of deploy these at larger scale, individuals can take a lot of this insight. There are apps and programs that they can use to put money down or put skin in the game or just pair up with a buddy who holds them accountable to going to the gym or keeping up with their diet or wherever it might be. And so there are ways that we can translate this to make it applicable to just an individual who wants to start these types of uh, behavior change programs. Well, we will welcome you back when that next set of research is all done. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks, Matesh. Great to see you again. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.